Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, it's the first book in the New Testament of the Bible. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to. Matthew chapter 1, and as you're turning, I want to welcome especially those of you in Loudoun and Montgomery County and Prince William and Arlington. It is so good to say Arlington. I loved being down there a couple of weeks ago for the first gathering there, just to in that room packed full of people singing the praises of God in a, in a new place, just praying for the spread of God's glory all throughout that part of our city. We love you guys there at Arlington, and we are so glad to be together with you there. So for all of us, during December and into the beginning of January, but specifically in December, we're going to be pausing our series in the uh, following Jesus through the book of Mark to spend some time in December specifically in these weeks leading up to Christmas and then on Christmas Eve looking at biblical foundations behind familiar songs that we sing at Christmas. So we're calling this series The Sound of Hope and man, do we need hope. Heather and I uh, went to the University of Georgia and they were in a championship football game yesterday. And we've been to those games before, and we lose most of them. <laughs> but yesterday was supposed to be the day when we would win, and we lost yet again. And one of my sons has said, you know, Dad, hope is a dangerous thing. <laughs> I said, you're right, son. Uh, if you're putting your hope in the wrong things, and clearly we were. Uh, but, oh, no. Somebody said Roll Tide. I mean, that's just cruel. I used to pastor in Alabama, and I put up with that. I, I, man, that was just, that was not from the Lord over here. So, uh, but I said, yeah, you're right. Uh, if you put your hope in the wrong things, like that's a dangerous thing. Uh, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. We know this, right? Like I, I was thinking about uh, the beginning of March 2020, and it was like, okay, things are going to be different for a couple weeks, but they'll get back to normal pretty soon. And like almost two years later, just look at the headlines on your phone, Omicron. Like we're just working our way through the alphabet. Like, like. Yeah, so it's good. It's good to pause together in these weeks leading up to Christmas and on Christmas Eve and to say, but there is a place where you can place your hope and you will never, ever, ever be let down. Never, ever let down. So that's what we're going to sing about and celebrate. The way it's going to work is each Sunday we're going to look at some biblical foundations behind a particular song, and then we're going to sing that song together, hopefully with a deeper appreciation for what we're singing. And then our worship teams at all of our locations are recording uh, versions of these songs and then making those available online for us to listen to in cars, at home, with families. So uh, you can download that. So that, that will be available this week uh, from uh, today. So the song we're going to look at is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And then you'll be able to download that this week at mclanebible.org slash Christmas. In fact, you can also download there, and there are physical copies of 
this at all of our locations today, but a, a Christmas devotional guide that our team has put together, and this is so good. So it has each of the songs that we're going to be looking at during uh, this month, and a devotion that goes along with it that you can do individually with your family. It has all kinds of activities to do individually or with your kids. There, there's a uh, Names of Jesus word search. Uh, Hopefully you've not picked up one of these and you're doing that now, but, uh, but there's all kinds, I'm so grateful for all the work our team put into this. So pick up one of these, pick up some of these on your way out, give them to others if you would like, or you can download vig- digital copies of that at mcleanbible.org slash Christmas. I'm really excited about this series and I want to encourage you to invite somebody to come with you. One of these Sundays, or on Christmas Eve, don't come alone to a celebration of the hope we have in Christ. And especially, like this is one of the uh, easiest opportunities you have to invite family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors to come with you uh, to church during Christmas. So, so don't come alone. And if you're a family member, or a friend, or a coworker, or a neighbor, and you're here today, like welcome. We are so glad you're here. And I, I've prayed specifically that God would open your eyes and your heart either for the first time or maybe in a fresh way to the hope that is possible for you to have in Jesus. So we're going to dive into this particular song today, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So a little bit of background on the song. Roots go all the way back to 1710 when the song was written in Latin. Then it was translated into English in 1851 and put to a tune that actually goes all the way back to the 1400s. So when you hear Kelly Clarkson's version, just remember, she did not come up with this one. And this is pretty awesome when you think about it, isn't it? Like the fact that we are singing a song together today in our worship that followers of Jesus have been singing for centuries before us. So I want us to think together about these words. I'm going to put them up here on the screen, and let's read them out loud together. Uh, Here in this room and other locations, let's read these words out loud together, and then we're going to look at the biblical foundations behind them. So read them with me. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. It's kind of hard to just read it, isn't it? It's like you're like, Emmanuel, <laughs> until the Son of God appear. So, so, so we're just going to read it like normal people <laughs> instead of, and then, and then when we get to rejoice, like there's an exclamation point in there. So let's like say it like we mean it. So let's like. With a little, little pep, a little happiness in the rejoice. All right? All right, here we go. Uh, we've got a few different verses. I think four more verses. Oh, come thou rod of Jesse free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Now you're getting it. O come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. 
Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show, and cause us in her ways to go. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. One more. O come desire of nations bind, all people in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Those are some dense lyrics. But before we dive into some of the details, let's just make sure we get the big picture of what this song is saying. Because it's obviously written from the standpoint of people who are waiting. Right? Specifically the people of Israel. So God's people in the Old Testament are waiting and longing for somebody to come. Do you hear like the language? This is the story of God's people all throughout the history of the Old Testament. They are they're captive. They're longing for somebody to free them. They are mourning. They're waiting for somebody to come and wipe away their tears. They're in gloom and darkness. They want joy and light. They need wisdom. They want peace in a world of strife and quarrels. And they're holding out hope that when this person comes, he will bring all of these things. So you get to the refrain and it says, rejoice, rejoice. Like, be glad. How is that possible? How is it possible to be glad amidst captivity and mourning and gloom and darkness and strife and quarrels? How can you be glad? That's a really significant question, isn't it? Because we live in a world today filled with quarrels and strife and darkness and gloom and mourning. Just turn on the news, whether it's endless headlines about COVID almost two years into this or another school shooting. Just look around and see the tensions and the conflicts in the world, in the church, in our families, in our lives. How can you be glad? How can you rejoice in the middle of it all? And this song is saying you can Sing and be glad and rejoice because you know that someone is coming to change all of that. And that is the good news that I want to share with you today amidst whatever is going on in your life or your family or in the church or in the world. I have good news to proclaim today like that someone has come to start changing everything, and that someone is coming back one day to finish what he started. And his name is Emmanuel. That's his name, and I wanna show him to you in Matthew chapter one and two. So if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to, to write what we're about to walk through down, especially if you're going through weary days right now, or 
maybe to store away for weary days to come. For anybody who ever feels weary, if you feel weary right now or if one day in the future you feel weary in this world, I want to show you five reasons to rejoice in Emmanuel. To rejoice because Emmanuel has come and Emmanuel is coming back. Now, I realize not all of us even know what Emmanuel means. So let's start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I'll have it up here on the screen just in case you don't have it in front of you. But this is, this is the story that the Bible tells us from the very beginning of the New Testament about the birth of Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, now here it is, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. It's kind of gross as it reverberates around the room, but it's been a, it's been a rough week health-wise, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So did you, did you see it here? Verse 23, quotes from the prophet Isaiah, which if you uh, look back, it's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. This was 700 years before this happened. Isaiah had prophesied, foretold, that a virgin would give birth to a son, and his name would be God with us, Emmanuel. God with us. Us, not God distant from us, not God detached from this weary world and all we experience in it, but God himself coming to this weary world to be with us in the middle of it. Like, this is astounding. The idea, what we celebrate at Christmas is the most extravagant Claim an extraordinary miracle in all of Christianity, in all of the Bible, in all of the world. The idea that Jesus is God with us in the flesh, like born as a baby God in the flesh, it's the most extraordinary miracle. You say, well, what about Easter? Like Jesus rising from the dead, isn't that extraordinary? Well, of course it is. No one else is. Been dead for three days, come back to life, never to die again. But once you realize that Jesus is God, it's not really that remarkable that he rose from the dead. What's remarkable is that he died in the first place, right? Now, what we celebrate at Christmas, the identity of this baby in a manger, is the fundamental point where Muslims, Jews, Jehovah's Witnesses, countless others disagree with Christianity. What we celebrate at Christmas Summarized in this one verse in the book of Matthew, 
is that Jesus is God with us, born as a baby in this weary world. Jewish people say, no way. Muslims say, that's impossible. God would never debase himself to come and be with us. Do you remember the story I, I told you? It was a couple of years ago now, but I was thinking about it this week as I was meditating on this text. I just, I remember it was right before uh, the trip we were going to take to adopt our son, uh, and it was postponed because of this unknown virus in January 2020, before any of us knew all that was coming. Our plans were turned upside down, and I found myself the next week catching a last-minute flight to an event that I'd previously said I couldn't be at, but now I could. And the only flight I could get last minute was a 5 a.m. out of BWI, which is about an hour from our house, which meant I needed to leave in an Uber about 3 in the morning, which I was not thrilled about. So I remember groggily getting into this car. Within five minutes of conversation with the guy who's driving, he's from the Middle East. He asked me what I do. I tell him I'm a pastor. He says, I can't believe this. I need to tell you a story. Remember this? He starts telling me, now this man is a Muslim who thinks the idea that God would be born as a baby is blasphemous. And he starts telling me he had a vision one night of a little baby who was talking as clear as an adult, looked straight at him in the eye, as clear as an adult, the baby said to him, do not question or underestimate what God can do. And he looked back at me through the rearview mirror and said, do you know what this vision means? And I'm like, man, uh, I don't usually interpret visions, but I, I actually know what this one means. I'm like, well, my, my middle name is Joseph. So anyway, I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I know exactly what this dream means. I, I know for sure God loves you, and God has done the unthinkable. He has come to you and me to save us from our sins by dying on a cross for us. Keep in mind, Muslims don't believe Jesus died on the cross. I said, Jesus is God in the flesh. He's died on the cross to make it possible for you to have a relationship with him. And he starts tearing up like he's crying as he's driving. He's apologizing. I'm like, no apology necessary. Just keep your eyes on the road. Like, just, I'm tearing up back here too. I'm sharing the gospel with him. He's like, this is unreal. I'm like, this is unreal. I don't feel like I'm in an Uber anymore. I'm like in an Ethiopian chariot, like looking for some water on the side. And by the time we get to the airport, I just, I said to him, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is God in the flesh who came to die for your sins? And are you willing to follow him starting today in your life? And he looked back at me. He said, yes, I believe this. I want to follow Jesus. This is the most extraordinary miracle in all the world. And it changes everything. This ushers in the greatest news in all the world. So now to get to your notes, I want to phrase these reasons to rejoice in a way that's similar to this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Like there's reason to rejoice in the present because someone coming in the future, even though, and we'll talk about this, we know he has come but we're going to also talk about this. We know there's still longing in us for him to return. So five reasons to rejoice that Emmanuel is coming, that God is coming to be with us. One, because Emmanuel will bring salvation from sin. That's straight from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will bear a son. She'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the core problem in this weary world, 
This is the reason why we have quarrels and strife and darkness and gloom and mourning and viruses and violence and conflict and death in our lives and in our families and in the church and in the world because we are sinners. All of us are. It looks different in each of our lives. But all of us have turned aside from God and his good ways for our lives. And we've said we have a better way. And we've all rebelled against God's ways, sinned against God, and our sin has separated us from God. This takes us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible when man and woman were sinned against God and were cast out of the perfect presence of God in the garden. And ever since then, we have experienced, and we experience every day in this world, the effects of sin in our lives. But this is the good news of Emmanuel. The good news is God has not left us alone in a weary world of sin and separation from him. God has come to us to save us. That's why he came. It's what his name means. The name Jesus means Yahweh or the Lord saves. Hear this good news loud and clear. God has not left you or me alone in this weary world to try to find our way to him and to joy and to peace and to life. No, God has come right to us to meet you and me right where we are in our sinfulness. He's come to us in the person of Jesus who lived a life of no sin. And then even though he had no sin for which to die, he chose to die on a cross to pay the price for sin And then he, three days later, rose from the dead in victory over the grave so that anyone, anywhere in this room, any of our locations online, anyone, anywhere in the world, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, if you will put your trust in Jesus, God with us, you will be saved from the penalty of sin, eternal death, saved from the power of sin in your life, saved to enjoy life with God, God with you. This is possible because Emmanuel has come to bring salvation from sin. If if you've never placed your trust in Jesus as God with us, God is inviting you to do this today. Like It's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that you're listening right now. You're sitting wherever you are right now. God is meeting you right now where you are. He's by his spirit speaking to your heart, saying, I am with you. I love you. And I want to save you from your sin. That's why he came. And that's reason to rejoice. Now you see why the song says, Rod of Jesse, the one from the line of David, free all those who trust in you from Satan's tyranny, from depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, death's dark shadows put to flight. Emmanuel will bring salvation from sin and hell, from death's dark shadows. He will give you victory over the grave. (laughs) That's reason to rejoice. More on that in a minute. Second reason to rejoice. Because Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, will embody wisdom in a foolish world. So I want you to think about this with me. Have you ever wondered why 
The first story Matthew tells us after Jesus is born, like the first story we hear, is about some wise men who come to see him from this random place far away. And remember, these, these wise men didn't get there like the night he was born. There was a lot that happened then. They just saw the star and they started traveling that night for a while, likely for months, before they actually got to Bethlehem. So remember, all your nativity sets that have the wise men bowing over a manger are historically inaccurate. So just go home today, take the wise men, put them in another room, <laughs> Fine. put them in the kitchen or something. Like they're on the way. It's going to be a little while. Just wait till like July, maybe. And just pull them back out, put them around the baby. They made it. Celebrate. So why would this be the first story Matthew tells us? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. And you know what's really interesting? A little bit of biblical background here. Way back in the book of Numbers in the Bible, there was a wise man from the eastern mountains, from the east, named Balaam, who prophesied. This was centuries before even Isaiah spoke. Numbers chapter 24, verse 15 through 17. It says, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Do you see that? Like centuries before Matthew chapter 2, Balaam, this wise man from the east, tells of a star and a king that will rise from the people of Jacob, whose name is Israel. Then centuries later, men who are known for their wisdom say, a star has risen and a king has been born from the Jews who deserves all of our worship. Do you see this? There's no detail that's an accident here. God is announcing in the birth of Jesus to a foolish world to a world where we actually think our ways are better than God's. We still think our ways are better than God's. You and I are going to wake up tomorrow in this weary world, and we're still going to tell ourselves we're smarter than God. To a foolish world. Even when we're experiencing the effects of our foolishness, God is saying, when Emmanuel comes, he will reveal my wisdom. He'll make it possible for you to live in my wisdom, which is why this song says, O come thou wisdom from on high, and order all things far and nigh, to us the path of knowledge show, and cause us in her ways to go. This is good news. In a world of foolishness and minds and hearts of foolishness, God has come to us and he has put his wisdom at our disposal in Jesus. And he has said, I want to help you live, not in foolishness, but in wisdom. And it's the wisest way to live, to walk in obedience to God with us. Reason to rejoice. Which then leads to where Matthew picks up 
when the wise men finally make it to Bethlehem, chapter 2, verse 9 says, Behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here's a third reason to rejoice. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, will unite the nations with joy. What a scene. Like these Gentile, non-Jewish wise men, prominent men from the East, from the nations, they come, they travel to bow down and worship a baby with great joy. And notice, how many wise men were there? Oh, it actually doesn't say. They gave three gifts, but it doesn't mean there were just three wise men. Just picture this entourage coming. Not just three random dudes. This entourage of prominent people from the nations coming down, and they worship a baby. And did you hear the language? Did you hear the language? Uh, They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Like Matthew could have just said, they were happy. (laughs) But it's like quadruple joy here. Rejoiced, not just a little bit, a whole lot, with a whole lot of joy. What other kind of emotion do you have with rejoicing? Like, it's this emphasis. It's like, they are all, the nations are filled with joy as they behold this king lying in a manger, manger, or not in a manger, (laughs) lying right in front of them. Like this whole picture here is giving us a glimpse of where all of history is headed. Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 7, every nation, tribe, tongue, people gathered around the throne of one king singing salvation belongs to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Worship and honor and glory forever and ever be to him. He will unite the nations with joy. This is reason to rejoice. Think about it. Think about the nations. Think about people among the nations that fight and quarrel and slander and accuse and kill and destroy. There is a king who's coming who will bring joy to all the nations in his presence. Who can do that? Who can bring people from every nation? Just picture Americans, Iranians, Saudis. North Koreans, Somalis, Afghans, Sudanese, German, Israeli, Palestinian, Brazilian, Salvadorian, Ethiopian, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Yemeni. Keep going on and on and on and on. Keep going to 16,000 distinct ethnic groups in the world. Who can bring people from all of them together in one picture of joy? Only Emmanuel can do this. Only the God who created all of them, who's come to be with them, can do this. Only Emmanuel can unite the nations with exceedingly great everlasting joy. In the words of that carol, come desire of nations, bind all people in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrels cease. Fill the whole world with heavens. Only Emmanuel can do that. And you look at what we read next in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, 
He said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. So that right there is a quote from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, which is a reference to when God delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt back in Exodus. So again, no detail by accident here. Why does God, out of all the places that God would tell Mary and Joseph to take Jesus, Jesus to flee King Herod, why would he tell him to go to Egypt? Because after spending some time there and now coming back from Egypt, God was making a point very clear. Just like in Israel's history, when God's people were enslaved, God saved them by bringing them miraculous deliverance from Egypt. Now, in the beginning of the New Testament, God is saving his people by bringing a miraculous deliverer from Egypt. His name is Emmanuel, and he will, fourth reason to rejoice, deliver our souls from slavery. And I I say souls here because Emmanuel will not just deliver us from slavery to a foreign nation or to this or that captor, as important as that is, but from slavery to Satan himself, from slavery to sin, from slavery to death. This is the language we see all over the Bible to all who trust in Jesus. You are free from, we read it earlier, Satan's tyranny. To all who trust in Jesus, you are free from sin's power in your life. To all who trust in Jesus, you are free from the sentence of death itself. So, this is why the song says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. So that line leads to the fifth reason we have to rejoice today. Right after we read about Joseph and Mary taking Jesus to Egypt, we hear the story of what King Herod did in Bethlehem, and it's horrifying. Verse 16 says, Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Can you imagine that scene? I just picture that happening. Like just in our church family. Bethlehem wasn't a huge town. Like just, just picture all the children under two years old snatched from their parents' arms and slaughtered as their moms and dads and sisters and brothers weep and wail in agony and hurt. And Matthew quotes from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 15. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. That, that historical event is when the Babylonians came and attacked Israel, Jerusalem, 
razed people's homes, destroyed the city, killed men, women, children, and then took the, those who survived to Ramah, a place just north of Jerusalem, and they put them in caravans there and carried them into exile. Families separated from each other. Children either killed or separated from their parents, never to see each other again. You can only imagine the trauma, all the weeping and wailing and pain and hurt in that scene. So that's the quotation here. What's interesting, though, is right after Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15, in verse 16, you go back and look, Jeremiah 31, God says, weep no more because hope is coming in your future. And God tells them he's not forgotten them. He promises them that he is going to restore them. So now Matthew quotes from that part of Jeremiah in the middle of the pain and hurt of Bethlehem as if to say, this is not the end of the story. Why? Because Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, will ultimately heal our deepest hurts. But I guess this is the challenge, isn't it? Because at this point in Matthew chapter 2, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus has come. Yet they're weeping and mourning in the middle of his coming. And you fast forward 2,000 years after Jesus came, today, and we're still weeping and mourning in a really weary world. We still experience the pain and hurt of death and separation and viruses and violence and conflicts and tension. We can go on and on. So do we actually have reason to rejoice? This is where we realize that our reasons to rejoice come not just in looking back, but in looking forward. So I want you to follow with me here. Like every child, every teenager, every man, every woman, amidst whatever is going on in your life, amidst everything in the church, everything in the world, like look back and see. God has indeed come to us. What God's people, Israel, longed for over centuries of waiting, we now know and celebrate. Emmanuel, God with us, has come. He's lived among us, died for us, risen from the grave, and made a way for all who trust in him, you and me, to be saved from our sin. For all who trust in him to have the wisdom of God at our disposal, to no longer live according to the ways of this world, but according to God's good, wise ways for our lives. And he's made joy possible, a joy that supersedes circumstances, a joy that transcends even suffering, a joy that nothing in this world can take away from you, that those wise men experienced as they worshiped. And that's the point, right? That's the point. Your deepest joy will be experienced when you live for God's highest glory. And they go together. Don't buy it. Don't buy the lies of this world that says your deepest joy is found in more possessions, 
and more stuff and better position and more acclaim, more applause from people, more this or that in this world. None of it will satisfy. Only he can satisfy. And life that is, found, that life that is joyful, eternally joyful, is found in living for his greatest glory. And so they go together. So see it here from the very beginning of the Bible. And think of the news we have to tell the world that Jesus has come to deliver anyone, everyone from slavery to Satan, sin, and death. That Jesus is able to heal our deepest hurts. I got to share this with you. One of Heather and I's favorite people in the world is here today. Uh, Her name is Carla Bean. Uh, Carla lives in Birmingham. And she's here today because her cousin is being baptized in a few minutes here at Tyson's. And uh, she wanted to surprise her. I, I met Carla and her husband, Jonathan, uh, 10 plus years ago. And they changed my life. So Carla's from Mexico, Jonathan from the U.S. They met, married, had a little baby, and moved immediately overseas into the heart of unreached people. And they gave their life for years in a really hard place, sharing the gospel with people who never heard of Jesus. And I met them when they were visiting uh, back in the States, and I asked them if they would consider coming to serve with me where I was pastoring in Birmingham, and they did. And Jonathan became one of my closest friends and personally taught me more about God's heart for the nations than anyone else. And a few years back, they found a a tumor on Jonathan's brain. And we walked with Jonathan and Carla and their three kids by that time through just surgery after surgery, all the way to, I was flying back from overseas and I I got a call that Jonathan really wasn't doing good and they were bringing the hospice into the house. And uh, so I rerouted my flight to go visit him and just, sat by his bedside for a few hours and we talked and we laughed and we cried. And Jonathan could barely speak. He was just whispering, so weak. There was one point where I had to step out uh, so uh, palliative care people could talk with him and he could basically sign some papers saying that they could let him die. And I, I came back in and they're setting up a bed for him there in his room. And I remember, he just, I remember he looked at me. And as they're setting up this bed, he looked at me and smiled. And he just whispered, he said, David, God is good. And he told me, he told me about calling his kids in the room earlier that day. They were 14, 12, and 9 at the time. And explaining to them what it meant to bring in hospice for their dad. But he looked at his kids who were crying with him, and he smiled, and he told them, he said, God is good. And a few weeks after that, Jonathan went to be with the Lord. So how is that possible? How is it possible to rejoice, smile, say God is good in a weary world of suffering and sorrow and death? Well, here's how. One, Jonathan was looking back. He was telling his kids, what he had told people among the nations his entire life, like, Emmanuel has come. 
God has come to be with us. He's not left us alone. Jesus has come to save us and deliver us and to heal us. Jesus has come to disperse the gloomy clouds of night and put death's dark shadows to flight. He came for that reason. And at the same time, Jonathan was looking forward because he knew that Emmanuel didn't just come. He knew that Emmanuel, God with us, is coming back for us. And he's not coming back lying in a manger. He's coming back riding on the clouds. One day the trumpet of heaven is going to sound. And the skies above us are going to split. And Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus is going to come. And we can rejoice today. No matter what you're walking through in a weary world. Because on that day you know sin will be no more. Slavery will be no more, and suffering will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, or crying, or pain, or gloom, or conflict, or tension, or violence, or viruses, or cancer, or tumors. Death itself will be no more. Emmanuel, God, will be with us. He will wipe every tear from our eyes, and we will be with him forever. That is reason to rejoice, because Emmanuel has come, and Emmanuel is coming back. I guarantee you, based on the authority of the Word of God Himself, you put your hope in Emmanuel, you will never, ever, ever be let down. Ten trillion years from now, you will not be let down. So, will you bow your heads with me in this room? All locations online, like just, just between you and God right now. I just want to ask you, do you have that confidence? Have you put your hope in Jesus? Do you know what Jonathan knew? Do you know if you were to die today that you would be with God for all of eternity? That's only possible if you have placed your faith, put all your hope in Jesus. So if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, I invite you today, like God has brought you here to this moment to hear his spirit speaking to your heart right now, I invite you just to say to him in your heart, even if you still got questions or don't, <coughs> don't have it all figured out, just to say to him right now in your heart, Jesus, I believe. You died. You came here to be with us, to live and to die on a cross for my sin. You have risen from the grave. And one day you're coming back. This longing that I have in me for justice and the longing that I have in me for resolution and redemption and relief is a longing you've put in me and only you can fill. Today I trust in you. Today I put my hope in you. Please save me from my sin, Jesus. And bring me into relationship with you. The Bible says, by faith, by faith, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved from their sins, saved from death, by faith in Jesus. And for all who have this faith in Jesus, amidst all the things going on in our lives, can we just pray together and say, God, 
You are our hope. You're our hope. Our hope is not even in our circumstances changing tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. Our hope is in you in eternity. And we trust, we trust that you will give us in the middle of whatever we walk through in this weary world a peace that passes all understanding as we hope in you. You will give us a joy that supersedes suffering as we hope in you. You will give us wisdom to walk through wearying days as we hope in you. God, I, I just pray that over every single person with the sound of my voice. I pray that they would know the peace, the joy, and the wisdom that are found in hope in you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. We praise you, Emmanuel, God with us. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.